and today, if you don't know, we've been working through the book of Genesis, and for the past several weeks, we've been working through the creation story, and um, last week we talked about the fall and the consequences of sin. Well, today, the title of the message is actually Falling Further. So if you were hoping that by today, everything would be good and wonderful, um, and back to the up and up, well, we're, we're going to see there's some of that. There's some hope. There's some good in here. But there's also some more that's going to take place um, here in chapter four. Have you ever, have you ever, you know, seen a movie or read a book um, or heard a story where something really tragic happens and then it just gets worse and worse? <laughs> some of the, you know, the the heaviest stories function that way. Comedy has even taken it to a different level where it's like something bad happens and continues to happen worse and worse until it's, it's so bad it's funny. I like that. <laughs> but sadly, what we're going to see here today in Genesis chapter 4, well, actually the next couple chapters of Genesis, that's kind of what it's like. We experience the fall, as we saw last week, sin entering into the world, and now Adam and Eve are, are driven from the garden this perfect place, this beautiful creation. And they get sent out and you think, all right, well, that was bad. But at least God gives them hope. He, he talks about their future and they start looking into what it's going to be like to go on and, and kind of move forward. All right, and you hope that that's it. And that from then on, it's, it's people just trying to make things right and to do better and to sort out and smooth out that rough start. But that's not what we're going to find here, unfortunately. In fact, we're going to learn the story of their children and watch humanity fall even further. But like I said, everywhere through Scripture, and I hope you've seen this, even as we looked at the fall last week and we've looked at sin, there's always hope. We always find hope. The Bible is loaded with hope because God has a plan. So let's pray before we begin reading Genesis chapter 4. God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I ask God that you would give us clarity and insight into this story. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that it teaches us and it transforms us. And God, we just want to bring ourselves to you this morning. And we just ask God that you would speak to us, that you would shape us. We believe that your word is alive, that is living, that is active. And Lord, we know that we need the things that you want to speak to our hearts and our lives. And so, Lord, we come before you and worship and ask that you'd speak to us, you'd direct us. Give me your words, Lord, to speak this morning. And uh, may we all be encouraged and built up by you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's begin here in Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to start by reading just the first seven verses. Here's what it says. Now, Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. 
And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. All right, so let's recap and get a context here as we see the beginning of this story. After being driven out of the garden, Adam and Eve moved forward with their life, right? And, and they started their family. Cain, the older brother that we're introduced to here, Cain um, begins, as we've learned the story and we looked at the beginnings of creation, we knew that one of the things that Adam was going to do is he was going to provide for his family by working the ground. And so, as you can imagine, as soon as little Cain comes on the scene, he's like, all right, Cain, out to the field with me. Let's start working. And as Cain grows up and matures and develops into a man, that's his thing. He helps out in the farming for the family, right? And so he's working. He's a farmer. He, he works the ground. Well, the next little boy comes along that we're, that we're introduced to here, Abel. And in the same way that they were to take care of the ground and all that, they were also to have dominion over the animals and the animal kingdom and what was involved in that. And they had a herd of sheep. And so Abel, as he comes up, he begins working in the fields. He's working with the sheep. He becomes a shepherd. All right, and so it looks like these two boys kind of have their own world, their own thing. Abel's all about the sheep. Cain is all about the fields. And so that, that happens, and that's, that's working, all right? And then it tells us there um, that in the course of time, in verse 3, time goes by, all right? Years go by, if not decades. We don't know exactly the time frame of what's happening here in this. But both of the brothers bring an offering to God as an act of worship, all right? That's what's happening here. If you weren't real sure of what was happening, it says, well, he brings it to God and God has regard for one and not with the other. That's what's happening as an act of worship, they both bring an offering. And as we saw in the story, God accepts Abel's offering, but not Cain's. And Cain gets really mad about it. Now, I wish this was the part where we had a little background information about the relationship between Cain and Abel. That would really help us a lot in this whole story. But we don't. We don't know if they were the type of brothers that were kind of always at each other. We don't know, but probably could expect that these brothers were competitive maybe a little with each other. Anybody got a brother? Anybody in here that's ever been competitive with a brother? Some of you know that, have seen that. The competition between siblings, nonstop happening, right? So maybe that's what's going on, but, but we don't really know. Cain, however, is very, very angry. So he's either angry that, at God because God has, has not shown regard to his sacrifice or and maybe a little both, he's angry at Abel because Abel did get God's attention and God's regard, and he didn't. All right, so that's built into this anger for Cain. And so God comes and speaks with Cain. And, and look at that, and where he, he says there in verse six, he says, why are you, are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Why are you now just like down in the dumps? Why are you feeling like you're all, you know, angsty over this? It's like, because if you do well, you know that you'll be accepted. So why is this happening? Why are you feeling this way? And what we understand, and, and admittedly I'm bringing in a little more from what we understand in the rest of scripture, what we understand is that worship, 
this offering that they were to bring was meant to be a matter of the heart. It was supposed to be done in, in a heart that's meaning to bless and the best with God. They, the, the, the point of worship is to bring it to God as an act of worship. And that's not what happens here. It had little to do, I think, with the offering itself. God didn't care. It's not that God was, you know, picky and he said, yeah, I want some lamb chops. You know, keep your bowl of oatmeal over here, you know. It wasn't that kind of a thing. It was about the heart. And God desires our hearts. Now, our behaviors do matter. We learn that very clearly. But first and foremost, God is after our hearts. He wants who we are in our deepest part, all right? That's, that's what he's, he's pursuing. He's not just interested in us going through the motions. And there's a big difference between a relationship or just ritual. And that's an important thing to notice because a lot of people believe they're worshiping God when in fact all they're doing is going through the ritual. They're going through the motions. They might be very religious people, they show up to church every single week. They give of a tithe and an offering. They say the right things. They don't say the wrong things. They do all that they're supposed to do. They go through the ritual, but their hearts aren't there. God has something to say about that in, in the book of Isaiah. When he speaks to Isaiah the prophet, he's explaining um, his his feeling about the people. Here's what he says in Isaiah 29, 13. It'll be on the screen for you. He says, this people, they draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. And God's telling Isaiah, he says, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. I mean, it's great that they come and they say all the right things and they sing the songs and all that. I'm, that's nice, but their hearts are far from me. And that's not what, what he's after. Worship is for God. That's a hard one for us to get in our heads. But true worship happens when we come and offer everything, everything we are, to him. Uh, before we jumped into Genesis, we did this series on spiritual practices. And we, we looked at worship and three different aspects of worship. We talked about worship through music of how it, we're, we're coming and we're declaring these, these praises of God. We're, we're, these songs that we're singing are meant to bring glory and honor to him. And when we come, we don't always feel like singing or raising our hands or clapping or participating. But what, would, what do we learn? Worship is for God. And so we bring that offering. We talked about worship through giving. We said of the things that God has blessed us with, we give back to the Lord in our finances. It doesn't always feel good, right? We could always use a little more. So, but, but we offer that to God out of our hearts who love God and want to honor God. We worship through gathering. Here you are. You've carved out time on your Sunday, on your weekend to be here. You're coming, not for you, but for God. That's what we're called to do. And when that gets mixed up and that gets confused, like Cain did here, what happens is when, when we put ourselves at the center of our worship, it's really idolatry. It's no, it's no longer worship. Cain wasn't worshiping God, he was worshiping himself. He didn't bring God his best. Why? Because that would deprive Cain of what was best. 
He wanted to worship God in a way that kept the best for himself. So he was at the center, God wasn't. And we know we have the same tendencies, right? <laughs> I, I, if, if you felt as you think about that, you're like, yeah, I kind of am in that way too. You're probably not alone in here, <laughs> okay? We have those tendencies. When we come to a worship service, it's natural for us to want to come for ourselves, right? You ask yourself when you woke up this morning, well, should I go to church? Should I not go to church? What will I actually get out of it? What will I learn? How will I feel? Who will I meet? Should I do it? Should I not? But that's not the sort of worship that that God regards. Like Cain, we have to overcome those tendencies and grow beyond them, as he says here, because sin is crouching at the door. Here's the thing about sin. Sin's always crouching at the door. <laughs> you know, um, it, it's always there. It's always close. And the, the thing to know, though, is as believers, we don't have to fear it. Okay? Um, it's not as if sin, I, I think I try to view it this way a little more. Sin is always crouching at the door, but it's not that, um, it, it, it's not that, that we are in danger regardless and there's nothing we can do about it, okay? Um, it, it's not the kind of thing where it's inevitable. I'm absolutely gonna fall. I'm absolutely gonna be destroyed by sin. I'm absolutely, it's gonna wreck my life and wreak havoc on everything that I do. We're not forced into that path, not at all. In fact, we, we see that God has given us freedom from those things and we can overcome those things. But here's what we want. Here's what all people want, whether they're Christians or not. We all desire a good life. If you go and interview anyone, if you say to them, would you rather have a life that is good and prosperous and plentiful or would you rather have a life that's miserable and hard and difficult? Everyone's gonna say, I want a good life. We want a good life. But what have we learned about sin? Sin leads to death. We want life, but sin leads to death. Therefore, sin, to use the words here, sin is contrary to what we desire. If sin always leads to death, but what we really want is life, then we know that sin is contrary to what we desire. And just like Cain, we must rule over it. Now, in Cain's situation here, it was anger that he needed to overcome, all right? And anger is one of the most common places that people yield to sin. Anger itself, the Bible teaches us, is not sin, but it leads to sin. It's a big, wide-open door to sin. And if anger consumes you, you will be sucked down the path to sin. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil, that one that's bringing sin and temptation into your life. James 1.19 to 20 says, Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Listen, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And one more for those of you who or taking notes on your anger. <laughs> Psalm 37, 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. That's what it does. That's what it leads towards. 
And so Cain here, Cain had a choice to make. He could either follow his anger into sin or he could turn from it. And we always have a choice. I think that's one of the hardest things for us to actually learn in our battle against sin. We always have a choice. Sometimes sin gets to the place in our lives where we feel like, oh, I don't have a choice anymore. It tells me what to do. And if it's going to drag me that way, I'm destined to go that way. But we have a choice. James 1, 14 and 15 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Just like I said to you earlier, sin leads to death. It always will. And sadly, that's what we see here in the story. All right, so now we read verse 8 of Genesis 4, verse 8. So God's spoken to Cain and says, cool it, Cain. If you do it right, you're going to be okay, right? And then comes verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Full-grown sin brings forth death. So we just read in James. Now, what was it that Cain said to Abel? That's how it starts off. He says, Cain speaks to his brother Abel. How did Abel respond? Again, we want to fill in the details that aren't there. We might think, okay, it was this big argument. It was this thing where Cain was feeling bad and he was discouraged. His face was downcast. And Abel's like, what's the deal, man? Come on. And Cain may have shared, oh, well, you know, God accepted your offering. He didn't accept my offering. And how did Abel respond? You know, we want to put words in Abel's mouth. It was Abel like, ha ha, yeah, I know. I got you again. You know, I'm the better brother. Who knows? But it doesn't matter. It may not have been that at all. Abel may have been completely righteous about it. And he's like, Cain, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I just did what I thought I was supposed to do. And Cain's like, well, I don't care. And I'm going to show you I don't care. I'm going to squash you like a little bug. You know, I don't know. But that doesn't even matter. Anger turned to resentment. Resentment turned to bitterness. Bitterness turned to hatred. And hatred turned into murder. That's the part that matters. Seeing that path of where sin led him to death. Cain was angry at God for not accepting his sacrifice. But his anger spread sideways as well. And anger has a sneaky way of doing that. Have you ever noticed that in your life? You're angry about one thing, but it comes out in all these other ways. It's like squeezing out your ears, right? You're angry about this over here. You're upset about something at work, but you bring it home with you. And even if nothing at home has had anything to do with what's going on there at work, you're already angry, and so you bring it with you, and it just oozes out. It does that. Cain was jealous that God did accept Abel's sacrifice, but his anger consumed him and drove him to murder. So let me say this before we move on. If you struggle with anger, and by the way, there's no sin that is not common to all mankind, right? If you struggle with anger, the first order of business is to figure out what is the root of it. What's really at the bottom of your anger? All sin has a starting point. You might not be able to put a date on it to say, oh, I remember the first bad thing that happened to me in 
January 12th, 1989, you know? You may not be able to do that, but sin as a starting point. And you can find the underlying issue. But here's the thing. When you find that place, most of the time, at least what I've experienced in my life, most of the time, even if you find the root, you can't deal with it. Only God can heal it. Most of the time, the things that are so embedded in us, in our subconscious, and the deepest part of who we are, most of the time, we can't take care of it on our own. But God wants to heal us of it, and he will. Now, when you look at this story and you think about this anger that moves all the way to murder, you might think that after the loss of innocence, you know, after they, they, the fall from the garden, you might think, all right, so they, they made one big mistake. They disobeyed God. They ate the fruit. They're dealing with the consequences. Well, it's going to take years, decades, centuries before the really deep, dark, bad sins happen, right? You might think that's the case. But unfortunately, it's not. (laughs) The third human being introduced in the Bible, Cain, the third human being committed cold-blooded murder. And it was his own brother on top of that. But Cain's story is our story. Now, hopefully none of you have murdered anyone in here. But the potential for horrible horrible sin the potential for that exists in each one of us it doesn't come from our upbringing or our environment it comes first from our hearts those other things matter too and they can shape us and bend us in different ways but the bible tells us jesus tells us in matthew 15 that it comes from our hearts here's what he says in matthew 15 he says but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. And as we study the story of Cain, what we have to understand is it's not just bad people. You see a murderer and you're like, okay, the guy's a murderer. He's a bad person. But what we understand when we recognize the the story for what it is, it's not just the bad people that are bad. We're all fallen people, every one of us. Do you, ever, do you ever sin and then ask yourself, where did that come from? Anybody ever do that? I do that. When I sin, I'm like, wait a minute. Where did that come from? I'm a pastor. I shouldn't be like that. <laughs> How would I think that? How would I say that? How would I do that? Where is that coming from? Now, if you're not a Christian at all, and you recognize sin in your life, let me say, you're on the path to becoming a Christian. Because that's where it starts for all of us. The first step toward being made right with your Savior is recognizing that you have a problem, right? It's the same thing with the 12-step programs. They're like, you can't even start recovery until you know you have a problem. It's the same thing with sin. Until you recognize, whoa, that sin came from me. I've got a sin problem. That's step one of coming and following uh, the Lord. All of us start with a nature like that. But the good news is that Jesus came to transform your nature and make you a new person. But if you are a Christian, you ask the same question. You're like, I'm a a Christian. I'm a believer. I've been freed from the power of sin. How is it that I just did this? How did I just sin? 
You have been given a new nature, but the fallen nature still hangs on. It's described well in Romans chapter 7, which says, Romans 7, 21 to 25, so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. It's crouching at the door, right? Just like we saw in Genesis. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I do, I really do. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, we all struggle with sin. That's why I can tell you Cain's story is our story. The same things that led him to murder are the same things that are embedded in in the broken part of who we are. But Jesus wants to free us from that. And the only way that we can be rescued from our sin nature is through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Only he can break the power of sin in our lives. And here's the thing. We try a lot of other ways to deal with it. We try to manage it. Uh, We can sometimes redirect it or distract ourselves from it. But only he can truly heal us. That's why, excuse me, that's why we call him our savior. Well, let's go on here. Let's see what happens next in verse nine. It says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Now, as we learned from last week, consequences always follow sin. Always. They always follow sin. And recognize what Cain recognized here. He was going to lose his vocation, his way of life. He was a farmer. He was in the field. That's what he did. He planted things. He grew things. He harvested things. That's how he functioned in the world. And now God says, the land's cursed because of you. I'm going to shut that down for you. You no longer are going to continue to be able to do what it is that you do. He's losing that vocation. He's losing the direction in his life. Unfortunately, at first, it doesn't sound like he has much regret at all for his sin, right? It's like he arrogantly answers God. His anger is still kind of bubbling. He's already killed his brother, but he's still like, yeah, what? What, Why should I know where he's at? Am I his keeper? But then he understands, oh, but God actually does know. And once he heard his punishment, then his view began to change. God can use the consequences of our sins to turn us back to him. It's important to know that. 
We always have consequences. They're always gonna follow, but God will use those things. God makes things good. And he can take bad things and major mistakes and deep, deep sin and he can, he can turn those things and he can redeem those things. That's what he does. He could have just struck Cain down for striking Abel. Make an example of him. You know, oh, you're gonna murder him? I'm gonna kill you. He could have done that. But instead, he allowed Cain to live even though he'd be wandering through his life. God remained his protector with this very interesting verse in verse 15 where he says, and he put a mark on him. Now you might ask yourself, well, what was the mark? I and mean, what did that look like? Did he, did he, was it some physical something that he put on him where everybody who would see him would be like, whoa, this guy's ugly. <laughs> We're not going near him. I, I don't know. Was it something like that? Was it something spiritual where people would, you know, come close and there'd just be something about him that they're like, we're not gonna touch this guy. We're, we're keeping away. We don't know. But whatever it was, he was marked and it would repel anybody that might come and attack him. He had immunity for the rest of his life. Now, I think that's kind of interesting simply because the Bible also tells us that we as Christians, we've also been marked very differently than the way Cain was marked, but we've been marked Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 describes it. It says this, in him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, listen to what it says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The, this, the seal has been put on us. It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that when we put our faith and trust in him, that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're marked for life. And when this life is over and the life to come begins, we will be seen marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. Cain had an opportunity to change his ways as he's wandering. But the next verse, I'm afraid, shows us his choice. Look at verse 16. Here's what it says. So after he's been marked, here's what it says in verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We don't know if Cain ever repented, but we know that he chose to leave God's presence. This uh, place that he goes to, the land of Nod, Nod literally means wandering. He went to this place where he was just gonna wander through his life. And let me just say, that is a common desire when we're faced with the shame of our sins. Just like Adam and Eve hid themselves, Cain wanted to run. And that's a very natural thing for people. They do something wrong, they know they've done it wrong, they feel shame because they've done something wrong, and the first thing they want to do is run. You see it at church as a pastor. You, you'll, you'll talk to somebody that you haven't seen for several weeks, you know, and then the story comes out. And they're like, well, this happened and that happened and then I did this and it was bad and it caused this blow up in my family or I, you know, did this and I was in sin. I knew I was in sin. I just didn't want to come to church. And I'm like, 
why would you not want to come to church? Well, I, I felt ashamed. I, that's not where I needed to be. I'm, you know, church is supposed to be this holy place where I come and it's all glory of God, you know? I don't want to be there. I'd rather stay at home. I'd rather lay, out, lay low for a few weeks until God, his anger cools down or something. Then I'll show back up. That's completely messed up, guys. <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed to be at all. No, instead, the Bible describes God as a loving father with his arms open to receive us in our sin. He doesn't want you to carry that junk around. The opposite should happen. You should say, I had a terrible week. I've got to go to church. (laughs) I've got to be with the people of God. I need to be encouraged. I need to be reminded that I'm sealed. I need to be reminded that I can pursue the Lord. I need to be reminded of God's grace and forgiveness in my life, right? That's where we need to be, but that's, it's natural. We want to run but we need to run to him instead of from him. He offers to take your sin upon himself. Now, this is the fun one. So if you're asleep, it's time to wake up. This was a fun verse for you. Chapter four, verse 17. Here's what it says. It says, so now Cain's out here in Nod, wandering off in Nod. And it says, and Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now, for those of you that are following along the story, you might have a big question that pops up right about now. You're like, wait a minute, wife? Cain? I only know about three people, well, four people, and one's already dead. Where does the wife come from? Okay, it's a good question. And I told you when we go through Genesis, there's all kinds of these crazy questions. This one, though, I think is, it's a legitimate question that we need to look at. Um, Where did Cain's wife come from? Where did she come from? And I will say this, there are all sorts of wild ideas about this. And we're not going to take time to go down all those wild paths. The only one that I will address is the theory that maybe God created other races of people after Adam and Eve, or even before them that developed on their own. Perhaps that explains the various hominid species discussed by anthropologists, all right? And that's what some people say. They say, well, obviously, there are other people somewhere else, and this story just kind of traces Adam and Eve and their lineage, and so there are these other people, and so he went out here to this wandering place, and he finds this woman um, that we don't know anything about, and so that's where it came from. I understand the, the, the logic behind it, but I've got a couple problems with it based on what we find in scripture, okay? And I wish I could tell you, and it makes everything so simple and smooth and wonderful when you look at these other biblical parts. It doesn't. It actually creates a whole nother problem for us to deal with, but let's, we'll get to that one in a minute, okay? Genesis 3.20, what we've already looked at before, says, the man called his wife's name Eve, And then it says, because she was the mother of all living. All right? Now, the way the creation story has been progressing for us is what it looks like is God creates Adam uniquely, and from the rib of Adam creates Eve uniquely. We look at all that. And then here in in chapter 3, we see now this statement that says, she is the mother of all the living. All right? All right? Now, that's one bit. The second thing is that we also understand that we've just been learning this and talking about this for a couple weeks. Sin entered the world through our common ancestors. 
Here we've been talking about this broken sin nature that we all have all the way through here. Um, and, and the an- common ancestors that we push that all the way back to and that the Bible aims that back to is Adam and Eve. The root of our sin nature and the root of death, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, comes back to Adam and Eve. All humanity shares those things and that requires a common ancestor. So what does that then leave us with? If you see where this is going, you can see why this is another problem. Because what this leaves us with then is that Cain must have married either his sister or a niece, a family member, a relative. So see, you clean up one problem and you're like, oh, that's gross and weird. All right, what we don't get in the background of all of this is the timeline. Um, and, And it's difficult. This is difficult for us. If Adam and Eve had many children... And as we'll see later in scripture, they had incredibly long lifespans, all right? If, if that was the case, and these children married and multiplied, there could be a huge number of relatives by this point in the story, okay? It also explains Cain's fear of retaliation. When Cain says, well, I, somebody's going to kill me. Who's going to kill you? Your mom? Your dad? No. <laughs> it very well could be Cain and all of Cain, or I'm sorry, Abel and all of Abel's line, his kids, his, you know, and, and how that all went. So at this point in the story, Adam and Eve, it, yes, it's talked about Cain and Abel as their children, their sons, which they were, but it doesn't say they were the only children that Adam and Eve had had. They're going to live a very long time. They're going to have a lot of kids. And so that's probably, uh, in my opinion, what's going on here. Now, you might say, that's incest, and that's gross. And isn't that forbidden in the Bible? Yes, it is forbidden in the Bible, but not for hundreds of years later when the law actually comes into being, okay? Um, it's difficult, but I think this is probably what was going on. Now, here, if you have a different opinion of this, again, as I've told you from the beginning, the details like this aren't the point of Genesis. That's not why it's written for us. We're learning about God. We're learning about the beginnings of humanity and sin and salvation. And there's a lot of these mystery places that we won't have the clear answer to. I'm just trying to give you some different um, perspectives on what could be in that situation. All right? And so now, we're almost done here, guys. Hang with me. Let's, let's read verses 18 to 24. It says, so, so now Cain has his wife. They have a child and they, they, they build a city and now um, their son Enoch, all right, it comes on the scene. In verse 18, and to Enoch was born Erod and Erod fathered Mahujael and Mahujael fathered Methushael and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ada, the name of the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. What do we see here in this strange little passage? 
life goes on. Life moves on. The family tree continues to expand. And with it, society begins to emerge and diversify. Some begin to settle in cities. Others roam with livestock and live in tents. The development of musical skill and instruments takes place. But also, I want you to see that sin continues to thrive. Notice um, there that Lamech took two wives. This was not God's plan from the beginning. When we were back in that section earlier in Genesis, right? But polygamy is now coming out. And it, it will plague humanity even until today. Arrogance and murder would continue. Lamech even boasting about it here. You know, yeah, Cain, he killed somebody, but, you know, so did I. Uh, He was a young guy, too, that I took out. You know, listen to me. This sin is continuing to spread. Humanity had already fallen in sin, but they would continue to fall further away from God. But even at this point, we find a glimmer of hope. I know that's what many of you have been waiting for for this whole sermon. (laughs) We're finally finding some hope, guys, all right? Let's finish the last two verses and then we'll be done this morning. Verse 25 says, and Adam knew his wife again and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also, a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So what we see here, um, this is important to see. If you're just reading this all along on your own, you might be like, what does that have to do with anything? Um, But as you study out the rest of scripture, you actually find out that these verses are very important. And the reason is that this is the lineage of Jesus. This is the line of Jesus. Eve properly recognizes here that God has a plan in place. We've got sin starting to go wild. We've got people spreading out and things just continuing to decline. But God has a plan. He always has a plan. Isaiah 46, 9 to 11 says this, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, thing, uh, ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. God always has a plan. We don't always see it and we won't always understand it, but know that God has a plan. He has a plan for you. And Eve would never know it But Seth's line would ultimately be the lineage that Jesus would come from. If you want to study that on your own, go to Luke chapter 3. And it goes all the way back to Adam. And you'll see Seth in this line. And as people multiply and are removed farther from the garden and detached from their creator, God is establishing a way to draw people back into a close relationship to him. Even placing, as it says there the desire in people's hearts to start calling on the name of the Lord. They didn't know him already just a couple generations after Adam and Eve who walked in the garden with him. They didn't know him, but they knew that they needed him. And just a a final statement here today. The way to Jesus is sometimes long and difficult. There may be some wandering on the way. But these early people, they they knew very little about God. 
But we, we've been given the privilege of living on the other side of the cross. For a lot of these people, when they dealt with their sin and tried to process it, they didn't understand what we understand. They didn't know what we know. They couldn't be um, empowered by the Holy Spirit in the same way that we have access to. We can see so much more of the, of the bigger picture. And I just wanna encourage you, let's not, make, let's not repeat those same mistakes that they did. Instead of falling further from the Lord, let's draw closer to him.